0: Hi everyone. This is the Visual Politic Podcast. I, as always, am your host, Simon Whistler. In this one, this is the podcast version of a video that we originally released on the 13th of February 2019. Its original title was How is China Challenging India? As this was originally intended for video, there are going to be some moments where I dive in from the future here in my podcast studio and illuminate you as to any charts or quotes or anything like that. So it should make it easier for audio consumption. Please as I always say, if you are having a good time with this podcast, why not leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or… well, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd greatly appreciate it. And let's roll into today's episode. This is the world's most violent tribe, known as the Sentinelese. Last year, in 2018, an American missionary was murdered when he tried to evangelize them. Indian officials won't even dare to retrieve his body. Nearly everyone who has ever tried to contact them has been met with spears and with arrows. And some, unfortunately, never left the island alive. For centuries, they have remained virtually isolated on this remote island in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Almost nobody dares to contact the Sentinelese. be wondering, well, why should we care about this violent tribe on this tiny and remote island? Well, dear viewers, that's because it belongs to the Andaman Nicobar Archipelago. And while it might not seem like much, this Indian territory is key to international trade. Most of the oil tankers that supply China go through this place. This means that, at any point, India could put some warships here and block most of China's imports. If they did this, China would collapse in a matter of months and, believe me here, India is not China's best friend. So what is China doing to avoid this? Are we talking about war? Well, hopefully not. The answer is far more complex. The answer is, once again, the string of pearls. and In this video, we're going to tell you what that means. In a previous video, we discussed how China is challenging the American empire. The Belt and Road Initiative and its maritime counterpart, the String of Pearls, are a strategic plan to neutralize American influence in the Indian Ocean. We've previously described the geopolitical theory of the String of Pearls, with each pearl being a port that could host a military base. We said America was worried about this, but they aren't the only ones. India has several reasons to fear China's military expansion, too. But first, let's define where these would be military bases could be. Some of the pearls could be in Bangladesh or Sri Lanka or Pakistan. But hold on a minute, because I know what you're thinking right now. All of these projects, they've got nothing to do with the military so far. We're talking about ports or airports or highways, and those are good for the economy, right? I mean, they really could just be good investments for Chinese companies. I mean, who can blame anyone for trying to make money?
1: Well, let's take Sri Lanka as an example. We're talking about a poor country that just emerged from a civil war. This Hambantota port is completely underdeveloped and virtually nobody docks there. In 2017, only 183 ships arrived here throughout the entire year, which means most days it was completely empty.
0: And yet China has invested a billion dollars here, and if rebuilding a port wasn't enough, they've also created a brand new city from scratch right next to it. So now we might want to ask you, does that make any financial sense whatsoever? Because it sure doesn't do us. But what if there were other reasons aside from economics? What if China isn't worrying so much about their ROI and is more worrying about their military expansion? Think about it. China is in a very weak position. Eventually, other countries could block their trade route, and both India and Japan might want to do that at some point. So far, the only country that guarantees safe trade in the Indian Ocean is America. But America is not exactly 100% committed to China's interests. So, in other words, China is at an existential risk and they need their own security. And that means military bases. Now, the question is, why would other countries let China build military bases on their soil? And even more importantly, why would those military bases be enough to guarantee China's security? For example, why would having a harbor in Sri Lanka keep India from blocking China's trade routes? Well, today, we're going to answer those questions. But before we do, as we always do, let's take a look back at the history
1: daddy diplomacy.
0: Sri Lanka is that island that you see to the south of India. It has around 21 million inhabitants and little to no interest in international politics until now. For 26 years, Sri Lanka suffered through a civil war between the government and a socialist group, the Liberation Tigers of Tamil Eelam. This was a conflict where some 60,000 people lost their lives and some estimations claim that that number could exceed 100,000. There were human rights violations on both sides and because of this, the international community isolated Sri Lanka's government for decades. That means they could hardly get weapons and security assistance from the international market to fight the Tamil Tigers. And then, while the whole world had turned its back on Sri Lanka, a single country stepped up to be their friend. This is from The National. China's aid revealed in Sri Lanka's victory parade This news is from 2009. Back then, the president of Sri Lanka was this man here, Raj Paksa, a corrupt authoritarian ruler with a never-ending hunger for power. He came to power in 2005 and China offered him all of the military aid he needed in order to defeat the Tigers. Thanks to this, in 2009, Rajapaksa declared victory over them. Finally, the civil war was over and Rajapaksa got all the credit for it. But this, as you might expect, is not the end of the story. You see, there's nothing easier than playing with the egotistical dreams of a power-hungry man, and this is how China became Rajapaksa's sugar daddy. For example, you want to build the tallest tower in South Asia? Something as magnificent as it is useless so everybody can admire how powerful you are? Don't worry, Rajpaxa. here's some money to build it with. Would you like to have a modern theatre with your name on it so everyone can be reminded of you for centuries? Don't worry, Rajpaxa. here's some money for that. Would you like a deep port in Hambantota so you can turn your country into the next Singapore? Don't worry, Rajpaxa. We got some money for that too. And as a side note here, I've been to Sri Lanka and I've seen these white elephants. They're kind of everywhere. All of them, they're bought and paid for with China's money and under China's conditions. And we're not really talking about
1: small sums of money here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This quote is from Forbes. Sri Lanka's debt crisis is so bad, the government doesn't even know how much money it owes.
0: For a better understanding of just how much debt we're dealing with, Sri Lanka's government collected $14.8 billion in taxes last year. Nonetheless, their scheduled debt repayments amount to $12.3 billion. So basically, all of their income goes towards debt repayments, mainly to China. And still, they continue to owe even more money. So, what happens when you owe money to China and China knows that you can't really pay them back? Well, that's when that sugar daddy diplomacy comes in. Now yes, it's true, a sugar daddy can offer you a life of luxury, but it comes at a price. Sometimes it doesn't have to be money. In fact, there are many ways of paying a sugar daddy back. What are this quote comes from The Diplomat.
1: Sri Lanka formally hands over Hambantota Port to Chinese firms on a 99-year lease.
0: Of course, on this 99-year lease contract, it is written clearly not for military purposes. But good luck telling China what to do with their own property. And look, Sri Lanka is in so much debt that they can't really argue with their sugar daddy. So now you might be wondering, well, what's going to happen when Raj Paksa is gone? Well, we actually already have the answer to that question. Despite his attempt to establish a cult of personality, Rajapaksa. Paxa lost the elections in 2015. And the new government, they've got a very anti China rhetoric. But again, money is money, and no matter the ideology of the government, Sri Lanka is still in a debt trap. Alright, but I know what you're probably thinking right now. You're thinking, ah, Sri Lanka's a small country, but you know, what about the bigger countries? Well, let's head over to Pakistan. The Port of Gwadar is just another example of sugar-daddying of a local government. Have you ever heard of Gwadar in Pakistan? I certainly had it. I had to look up the name on my computer to how to pronounce that one. But this area it has become an important gateway to the $62 billion China-Pakistan Economic Corridor, or the CPEC. The first stage of the construction of the port took approximately
1: $200 million of investment. <laughs> The China-Pakistan Economic Corridor is an important loop in the larger chain of Belt and Road Initiative and would enable the possibility of a 21st century maritime silk route. He, Lee, feng. Chairman of the National Development and Reform Commission of China.
0: Aside from the $62 billion, a $2 billion oil refinery is planned to be set up near Gwadar. And you might wonder, well, does this make economic sense? Well, in this case, we have to admit that it does. The port of Gwadar was built in a city on the shores of the northern Indian Ocean, close to the Iranian border and the entrance to the Persian Gulf. A pipeline from there to the world would allow them to easily transfer energy and goods from the Middle East. It would also help with trade between Africa the Middle East and China. In fact, Guida is expected to become a big commercial hub. And, of course, well, it makes sense for China to control that. But again, over $2 billion is enough to make Pakistan's government pretty happy and increasingly depends on China. If you want to keep your life of luxurious infrastructure, you've got to keep your sugar daddy happy. And in case you didn't know, we're not talking about a small country anymore. Pakistan has more than 200 million inhabitants and, by the way, it's a die-hard enemy of India.
1: <laughs> kind of and since we're talking about big countries, let's move on to Bangladesh. With 164 million inhabitants packed into 147,570 square kilometers, it is one of the top 10 most densely populated countries on the planet. And guess who sold them most of the weaponry they use? Why, China, of course. All those tanks, anti-missile shields, and combat jets are manufactured in Chinese factories.
0: Oh, they also paid for a gigantic bridge, and of course, that non-military port. Am I right? Estimates say that Bangladesh owes $8 billion to China, and their army, they're completely dependent on the Chinese. Again, this is sugar daddy diplomacy at play. So hold on a second, because maybe this doesn't mean anything to you yet. What do Pakistan, Sri Lanka, and Bangladesh have in common? They all perfectly surround India. So, well, why does this worry India so much? Well, let's find out.
1: The enemy at the gates.
0: As we said, India is pretty much surrounded by China's ports. Of course, so far, these ports have no military purposes whatsoever, but they might at some point. For example, in 2017, China wanted to dock one of their submarines at the Sri Lanka port. The government, which was no longer Raj Pax's, denied permission to China. And since the contract clearly stated no military use whatsoever, China had to dock their submarine somewhere else. But we all know that, eventually, that's probably going to change. Some more debt repayment negotiation, and China's going to be able to ask for whatever they want. So, well, what would this mean for India? Well, do you remember those Andamar and Nicobar Islands that we talked about at the beginning of this video? Well, as we said, India could easily block those routes. The way it is now, China couldn't really do much to avoid that. But imagine what would happen with Chinese military bases surrounding India. All of a sudden, China would be able to send troops to India's mainland on all sides. This explains why Narendra Modi, India's Prime Minister, is so scared about China's expansion and is playing a double strategy. On the one hand, Diplomacy from the South China Morning Post
1: Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi to visit China for one-on-one summit with Xi Jinping
0: But on the other hand, they've got what we could call the karaoke strategy. Basically, if China is building a string of pearls, India wants to do the same. But hold on a second, because China has money to sugar daddy with. But India? I mean, they're growing a lot lately, but they're not exactly China. So without so much money, they're kind of relying on another powerful weapon, and that's fear think about it, a lot of countries are concerned about China's military expansion. And that's where India basically goes and says, hey guys, we should probably do something about this. One example is with France. In 2018, New Delhi's government signed a strategic pact with France, opening up their naval bases to each other's warships across the Indian Ocean. This means that the Indian Navy now has access to strategic ports like the one in Djibouti, home to China's only overseas military base. From the South China Morning
1: Post scrambling to secure alliances as China extends its naval dominance in the Indian Ocean. India's traditional area of influence. But Modi
0: doesn't stop there. New Delhi's government is not staying still while China tries to seduce other countries in the Indian Ocean. He finalized an agreement for a new base in the Seychelles and also negotiated access to naval facilities in Amman. So what does signing all these treaties and agreements mean for India? It means that they now have access to their own string of pearls, from Madagascar via Djibouti, Amman and the Seychelles, all the way to Singapore. But hold on a second, because India is not the only country in the region that doesn't appreciate China's expansion. Last summer, Taiwan's President Chiang Wang said that China is a threat to global democracy. And so the Taiwanese government is partnering with Europe as well as Japan and the US in order to bolster its defense against China. While in the past decade China has promoted itself as the leading source of infrastructure funding in Southeast Asia, now India is directly positioning itself as China's competitor. But one country isn't enough, India needs an ally. To contain Beijing's maritime expansion, India is looking at Japan as their possible ally meeting of Japan-India-Act-East Forum. So do you see what we see? China is trying to surround India, and now India is trying to surround China. In geopolitics, we have a name to describe this and it's called a Mexican standoff. A Mexican standoff is a situation in which two or more countries competing over something can't really win and so are basically just waiting for the other to make a false move or for someone from the outside to step in. So now we've got to ask the question, Well, what's the potential outcome of all of this? Well, That would be military escalation. Basically, unless they come up with a compromise, they both need to keep expanding their military in order to deter a would-be attack. So I really hope you enjoyed that episode of the podcast. This was originally a video that aired on our YouTube channel. If you'd like to get stuff right up to date as it comes out, please do search "Visual Politic." That's Politic with a K, one word, in YouTube, and you will catch all of our videos. Also, if you like this, please do consider leaving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We really do appreciate it. And as always, I'll see you next time.